0: guys have been uh, engaged in an outstanding uh, series of sermons on prayer. Prayer is one of my favorite subjects. And so um, I'm excited to be able to talk about prayer today. And I want to apologize as well if I hit on any of the topics that you guys have already covered. Um, I also understand that you guys have been uh, having certain health talks and health nuggets uh, spread out throughout this last month. And uh, and so I thought... um, that must be God sort of calling me to talk about health and, and prayer together. Um, heard, a, uh, heard a really good story one time. We're going we're gonna to have a series of stories today, if that's okay with you. Um, and uh, I, before coming to Colorado, lived in the South. Uh, my, my family and I spent eight years in Birmingham, Alabama. And so a story is told in the South about a, uh, a loud and boisterous little boy, and he was being rushed out of church by his irate daddy, uh, who, was, who had told him multiple times to be quiet, and he just could not put a lid on it. He could not contain it, and uh, this may or may not have been one of my boys. <laughs> um, wonderful little boy, but very energetic, very boisterous, and at this point very, very loud. And with the boy under his arm, uh, the father's rushing out of of church with a bit of a red face. Uh, No one in the congregation even raised an eyebrow. Obviously, this had been a bit of an ongoing issue. Until the the child captured everybody's attention by crying out in a very charming southern accent, Y'all pray for me now. (laughs) Prayer is living and breathing. I'd like to ask a question this morning regarding prayer. Is there any context in which the horrific makes sense to us today? It was a day. It was a moment in time that seemed to almost stand still. It was a hot July at Chesapeake Bay. She swam, she climbed, she dove. And when her head hit the bottom and her neck snapped, that moment, floating face down in the water, unable to roll over, unable to move even her arms or her legs, trapped and unable to breathe. Miraculously, she uh, was flipped over by her sister and dragged out of the water just seconds before she took a breath of water in and drowned. She was saved but saved for what? She was 17 years old, young, athletic, and vibrant. She had a whole life to look forward to. And now, Joni Erickson, many of you have heard this story, was a quadriplegic, 17-year-old quadriplegic, confined to the prison of her wheelchair for the rest of her life. pretty heavy, huh? And in this, um had a, had a slide I was going to show you of a self-portrait that she drew of herself. She became an artist. She, uh, she actually draws using colored pencils. She puts them between her teeth. And uh, she has some absolutely amazing artwork. You guys should go online and check it out. But at 17 years old, she, do, she drew a self-portrait, black and white, out of charcoal pencils of an individual and you can see the anguish. You can see the emptiness and the isolation and the loneliness in her face and in her expression. What that must be to feel that way, to have something completely unexpected happen that completely changes your life forever. How would that feel? For at least two years of her life, she was in such deep depression, drowning in depression that she even contemplated suicide. Fortunately for her, she did begin a journey with Jesus. And this journey with Jesus led her closer and closer into a very beautiful relationship. The kind of relationship probably that many of us would love to have. Um, As... She, uh, she grew closer and closer to Jesus. She began to pray. Most of you probably can take a guess at what she began to pray. Joni began to pray for healing. She was drawing closer and closer and closer to her Savior, her Maker, the person who made her broken body. Not made it broken, but made her body. And every day, she would get out of bed with assistance. She couldn't even do that on her own. And she would pray that God would heal her. She would pray at least to be able to use her hands. And that healing for Joni has never happened. She just had her 17 or 50-year anniversary of that accident. She's 67 years old today. Or not today, but just just recently. And she still can't use her hands. She can't take a step. She can't walk. She can't get out of bed in the morning without assistance. That prayer to many people would seem to be an unanswered prayer. But I want to ask you a question. Is that prayer unanswered? I think we're going to explore this a little bit today. Joni uh, has some interesting insight on the answer to her prayer. And this is in her words. One of the key verses that she used as she prayed was John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Where Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. In her perspective, that was easy. That was slam dunk. That was a promise. And she asked. And yet she did not receive exactly what she Asked for. Jesus will give us whatever we ask as long as we ask in his name was what was told her. She kept doing that. She kept asking. Asking in the very name of Jesus and nothing happened. So she dug deeper, confessing and repenting of whatever extra sin might be in the way. But still her hands and her feet never responded. She began to wonder what was wrong. Maybe you've experienced something similar in your life. Maybe you've cried out to Jesus, cried out to God to help you with something that you struggle with. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a challenging time or circumstance that you're going through in your life right now. Maybe it's pain that your your children are enduring. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's something in life that is so broken, it just can never begin to make sense. And maybe you know what it feels like to cry out to Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Heal me, Jesus. Please, Lord Jesus. In words that echo through time, Joni felt probably something similar to this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you have your Bibles this morning, and I see a few, that's great. And if you have uh, smartphones, we're going to go through a few verses. I'd invite you first of all to open your Bibles to James chapter four, five, verse fourteen. <clears throat> James chapter five and verse fourteen. In this book, James uh, says, "Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord." If anybody ever has felt sick, perhaps this does ring a little bit true. Um, I don't think there's a place, I don't think there's a church, I don't think there's a community in this world left where somebody's not sick, where somebody's not suffering, and where somebody's not struggling, especially here in a hospital today, right? Health is so important to us. We're terrestrial beings. We're built from this backbone of carbon. We have a physical form. And when that begins to fail, we no longer possess health. Sometimes we don't have the energy to go on in life. Sometimes the sickness leads to thought distortions. We need our health as human beings in order to function. And so I think it's with uh, a great degree of uh, significance that James asked this question, is anyone sick among you? Does anybody have sickness here today? I do The call is not for the sick to pray for themselves, if you look at this verse carefully. It's very interesting that the call is not for the sick to pray for themselves. The call is for something that can only happen in a community of believers. It can't happen in isolation, because the call is for the elders to pray for the sick individual. Why do you think that might be? Do you think there's importance in the community... Of believers? Do you think there's an aspect of prayer that can only happen among a community of believers who are willing to be transparent with each other, willing to be open with each other? Um, This also makes reference to being anointed with oil. Now, oil is a really cool symbol in the Bible. Does anybody have any idea what it means? Holy Spirit, I like it. I heard several people say Holy Spirit. And you're spot on. What aspect of the Holy Spirit? So oil can symbolize various things in the Bible. You go all the way back into the book of Exodus. And when they anointed the priests, they would pour oil onto the priest's head. And it would run down, drip off of the priest's beard, all the way down his garments, down to his toes. And in that context, oil symbolized not just healing. In that context, it very much symbolized consecration to God. Consecration to God's work. Is it possible that perhaps some of us, through our journey in life, have had our spiritual health broken in a way that no longer allows us to be consecrated to God? Do we need consecration in our lives today? Another context of how oil is used in the Bible comes from the story of the Good Samaritan. Does anybody remember this story? You have a Samaritan... Um, he's walking along the road after the Levite, the priest, all the other people that should have helped this poor beaten down man. And it's the, it's the enemy. It's the social enemy and the social outcast that walks along and helps the man that's been beaten and bruised and is robbed. What does he do to this man? He pours oil on his wounds. And we see this also in a parable of Jesus when the good shepherd pours oil on uh, the wounds. The the symbolism here is much different in that the symbol of oil now takes on a symbol of actual healing, right? Which is kind of what we're going to be talking about today. There's another instance where Jesus uses the the symbol of oil in a parable. Does anybody remember the, the parable of the ten virgins? We're not going to look all these up. The ten virgins all have lamps filled with something. oil that symbolizes the working of the holy spirit are we consecrated to jesus today are we allowing him through the holy spirit to come in and heal our lives in a way that our lamps can illuminate the world around us because oil does symbolize the holy spirit but it symbolizes an active phase of what he longs to accomplish in each of our lives You guys are a city set up on the fourth floor of a hill here. Do you guys realize that? And uh, this is, I I have to say as well, this is the first time I've gotten to visit your church. I've been planning to do it for a long time, actually. (laughs) And I plan to do it again. And uh, what a wonderful church! What a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel with this community, Debbie, um, as you mentioned, uh, with the kids. Um, James doesn't stop there in this verse. As we become consecrated to God, James actually takes it a step further. If you want to skip down to verse 16, he says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual prayer, the effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, this, this verse took on a lot of personal significance uh, for Sharmony and I. I don't know those of you who have met my wife. She wasn't able to be here today. Uh, she has other duties at another church. But um, this took on a lot of personal significance for us about five years ago. Um, About five years ago, um, my wife noticed a lump in her neck, and it wasn't getting smaller. We went to the doctor. She got it biopsied, and uh, we found out that it was cancer. And a lot of things go through your mind when somebody close to you that you care about is sick. Charmony had uh, surgery. Um, The cancer was removed. Um, It was something we were still concerned about because it was present in seven lymph nodes in her neck. And you don't know how that's going to, to turn out in the future. You don't really have any sense of certainty about how things are going to go. And you do a lot of praying. And I will never forget, an elder in the church that um, we attend found out about this. We hadn't told a lot of people, and he said, I'd like you to come over to our house and do an anointing for Charmony. And I thought that was an outstanding idea. Ty Gibson happened to be there, and Gary Thurber, uh, who many of you know. Uh, Gary Thurber is the union president. And uh, as an elder in a couple of churches, I've gotten to witness a few anointings. But this was by far the most personal and the most um, amazing anointing experience I've ever been to. For those of you who have ever seen Gary Thurber in particular do an anointing, it's a beautiful experience because Gary Thurber believes in this verse. Gary Thurber has a spiritual walk that, that many of us aspire to. He's a gentle, meek spirit. He has a warmth about him. He has a joy about him. He has a steadiness about him you can tell that Gary Thurber spends time with his Lord. But when Gary Thurber showed up and when he said, i have got got to do this anointing, he read this verse and he said, I've got to be honest with, with you guys. I had something I had to make right with somebody earlier today. I had to confess something to somebody before we do this anointing. Because I wouldn't expect the power of God to be here otherwise. Ty Gibson knelt down and prayed. And he prayed a prayer of faith that I would, you know, I, I, I would hope I could pray that kind of prayer of faith. But he prayed a tremendous prayer of faith. Now, God heals in a lot of different ways. But I really believe God touched Charmy that day. Now, I could almost feel his presence there. And I don't know what the future holds. But I praise God that at this point in time, my wife is cancer-free. That's not always how it goes. And that's not always how it turns out when we pray. What is it that matters to God? Why does he want us to confess our faults one to another? Why is that? Could it be that there's something liberating and something actually healing about the process of confessing our faults to each other? Is there a possibility that through this process of confessing our faults and being transparent and not trying to be pretentious, not trying to be... um, seen as holier than we really are, that we become who we really are? Is it possible that as we do this and we experience transparency in a community of believers that we actually develop closeness, that we develop a bond, that we begin to share in each other's trials and burdens, that we begin to be in a position to strengthen each other and truly lift each other up? Is it possible that God has a purpose in this? Turn with me to Psalms uh, 27, verse 14. This verse says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What is prayer anyway? You'll notice the word word prayer is actually not mentioned in this verse. What is prayer? I uh, I think it's very important for us to understand this because there are aspects of prayer that have nothing to do with talking. There are aspects of prayer in our Christian life that will never be realized if we don't dig a little bit deeper into what God says in the Bible, what God calls us to as Christians in our experience. You look at this verse right here, and there's nowhere in this verse that prayer is actually mentioned, yet God is calling us to do something, isn't He? Look carefully at this verse. Wait on the Lord. What does it mean to wait on God? Has anybody ever waited on God before? Has anyone ever been in a circumstance when they didn't know what to do? When they had no solution for the problem at hand? Maybe when they were sick and they had, they had nothing. What David is saying is that that circumstance is a tremendous blessing to you in your journey of faith. Because in the act of waiting on God, you're communicating to God that you can't solve this on your own and that number two, you're just fine waiting until He can solve the issue. And without this basic fundamental condition, all the prayers and all the words that we could ever pray don't really have the same level of meaning. Isaiah 41.10, God follows this with a tremendous promise to those who will wait on Him. He says, fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen you. Yea, I will help you. Yea, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. When we wait on God, he reaches out his right hand of righteousness, his omnipotent hand, his his all-powerful hand, his all-knowing hand. And he gives us the wisdom and he gives us the strength and he gives us the courage to lift us up. And this is what God longs to do for you today. Psalms 55.10. For those of you who stayed in Psalms, you can look up Psalms 55.10. Another really neat aspect of what it means to pray can be found, I believe, in Psalms fifty five twenty two. Sorry. Uh, this says, "'Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain you. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved.'" Now, I don't pick up the part in here where every prayer that we ever pray is going to be answered just like we want it to. But God is inviting us to do something with Him. God is inviting us through a journey that is deeper than words to cast our burdens on Him. And this requires trust. And this requires a tremendous amount of faith to be able to step back from our vain attempts at trying to solve our problems. And to cast our burden on Jesus. When we wait on God, when we when we have enough faith to allow Jesus to carry our burdens, tremendous things begin to open up in our prayer life, and we are opened up to healing in a level that goes beyond some of the physical things that we pray for healing about. Jesus follows this up in His own words in Matthew, chapter eleven, verses twenty-eight through thirty. Many of you have memorized this verse, and it's one of my favorites as well. In this verse, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Has anybody ever felt burdened down before? Has anybody ever felt like they've been struggling to make it through life? Jesus is saying, if that's you, he wants you to come to him. He's inviting you to come to him. And I will give you rest, Jesus says take my yoke upon you and learn of me for i am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light i think one of the coolest things about this verse is that we think of these things as our burdens did you catch the last phrase there jesus isn't saying they're our burdens Jesus is saying that our burdens are his burdens. When we cast our burdens on Jesus, he takes them, he promises, he will. And he carries those burdens. Jesus does all the heavy lifting. Jesus leads us. Jesus guides us and he picks us up and he carries us in his arms. Even though God doesn't always serve the role of genie, where he instantaneously gives us whatever we snap our fingers for and ask for. He doesn't always respond exactly according to our desires. He frequently allows circumstances we wish would not ever happen. We are tempted sometimes to try to manipulate God and his sovereignty during times of distress in our lives. And this sometimes is the limit of our prayers. But we must begin to learn to trust in the sufficiency of God's grace in our lives. In every circumstance, regardless of whether we perceive that to be a good circumstance or a bad circumstance. Leading to faith independent of any circumstance in our lives. This is really the key purpose of God bringing varied circumstances into our lives. Our faith, our connection, our prayer experience with God is deepened. By these circumstances turn with me to psalms 107 verses 19 through 21 this says then they cry unto the lord in their trouble and he saveth them out of their distress he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions oh that men would praise the lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men God is inviting us here to do one more thing. Once again, this doesn't really say much about prayer, does it? How does this verse start off? It starts off by appealing to us to cry to God, to cry out to our maker, to cry out to the word, the living word. And it finishes by saying that we have the privilege of praising god it starts with a cry and finishes with a praise and right there tucked in the middle is god's promise that when we do these things he's going to heal us he's going to change our circumstances in some fashion he's going to remake us and he's going to build our faith favorite author of mine said in uh, the book steps to christ Page 95, there are certain conditions upon which we may expect that God will hear and answer our prayers. One of the first is these, is that we feel our need for him. Turn that over in your mind just a little bit. We need to feel our need for God. Until we have circumstances in our lives, perhaps sometimes unpleasant circumstances in our lives, that make us feel our need for God, we really haven't connected with God we really, on some level, no matter how Christian we are, have this idea that God is a genie. They're to answer our prayers. But when we have the misfortune or fortune of stepping into unsavory circumstances where we have no choice but to depend completely upon God, where we feel on a visceral level our our absolute need for God, something special happens in our lives. Listen to the rest of this quote. It's powerful. He has promised, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, who long after God, may be sure that they will be filled. God cares so much about us that he sent the living word incarnate, Jesus to embody this for us, to show us what this looks like, to give us a practical demonstration of God and His grace and His love and how He longs to heal us. And it was all borne out in the life of Christ. So what is prayer? Hopefully it's taking on a little bit of a broader meaning where we learn to wait for God, where we learn to cast our burdens truly upon Him where we learn to praise Him, where we learn to cry out to Him. And all of this is really describing what God wants to achieve, what He desired to achieve by sending Jesus here in the first place. And that is intimate connection with you. Intimate connection with me. Adam was once told in Genesis chapter 3, Verses 17 and 18. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, shall it bring forth for you. Sounds pretty good, huh? It's a great promise. That's what we're all hoping for, right? We want thorns and thistles in our lives. What are thorns and thistles anyway? Why in the world did this happen? Adam, uh, as most of you remember in this story, Adam and Eve had made a decision. The decision carried some significant consequences for all of us today still. Because of their decision and because of our own as well, we experience things that just don't seem like they should be happening in this world. People do get sick. People do die. We grow old. We don't live forever. We suffer pain and we struggle. In so many ways... God is answering a very important question for us here. Thorns and thistles are a symbol of pain and suffering in our lives. And Adam was promised that he would need to toil in in his work in the ground and that he would have pain and suffering as he did this. It doesn't sound like a very good promise, does it? It's not the kind that we really look for when we read the Bible. But the really beautiful thing is that this comes full circle in Jesus Christ. Does anybody remember what kind of crown Jesus wore? Did it have rubies on it? How about some diamonds? It's a crown of thorns. Jesus came back to this earth after he made it in the first place. After he made beings that were capable of hurting him and of falling. And he exercised the plan of redemption for us. And the very thorns... That Adam had to struggle with, that he had to toil with, were slammed down on the head of our Savior. This was his crown. In the Bible, as those crowns come down on Jesus' head, as they pierce his brow, as blood flows down his face, It's almost as if Jesus is calling out. I'm with you in your burdens. I'm with you in your struggles. Every bit of suffering, every bit of pain that you experience, I experience. And I have victory for you. In his suffering and in his death, Jesus bore our pain. Jesus bore our struggle. It says in Isaiah 53, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed. First Peter 2:24 says, "Who his own self, bare our sins in his own body, on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed." Jesus came. He took on the same construct that we have. A body made out of carbon. He walked this earth as a human being, able to feel everything that we feel. And in that experience, he experienced our pain. He experienced all the grief we can ever experience. He tasted death. And he did it for us. And he did it with a purpose. Um we're going to wind up with one more story here if you guys can hang with me for just a minute. Um CS Lewis, probably some of you guys know who CS Lewis is. One thing I didn't know uh is about a lady by the name of Joy Davidman. Does any, has anybody ever heard her name before? Okay, so Kim has. She she totally broke my I was going to say I'd never heard of her and I'm sure you haven't either, but Kim has. So uh good for you, Kim. You're you're very well read. Um Joy Davidman was C.S. Lewis' wife. C.S. Lewis didn't get married until he was something like 58 years old. How about that for a bachelor, huh? (laughs) She probably had a lot of taming to do. The really interesting and unusual thing about Joy Davidman and C.S. Lewis was that Joy Davidman had metastatic breast cancer when she married C.S. Lewis in 1957. She had one spot on her hip that was so bad that she couldn't even walk. C.S. Lewis had never been married before, and he has a really interesting quote about this time. I had never expected to find in my 60s the happiness that had passed me by in my 20s. He was quite happy uh, having somebody that he delighted in sharing time with. Joy Davidman was an author just like C.S. Lewis. Those who knew him well understood how deep the intellectual and emotional attraction was between these two people. Um, They shared, uh, they shared an existence on a very deep level uh, from all accounts of of this part of his life. It was very interesting that um, not long after they got married uh, in the words of C.S. Lewis, a good man laid his hands on joy and prayed a year later. She was in complete remission walking uphill through woodlands. And the man who took the x-ray was saying, these bones are as solid as a rock. It's miraculous. For three years, these two people really reveled in joy and, and a wonderful marriage. But then grief struck when the cancer returned with a vengeance, and Joy finally succumbed and died three years after they were married in 1960. Lewis had no framework for even really how to cope with this, this level of grief. It was a joy he had never known in life until he had met who he felt was his soulmate. And in 1960, shortly thereafter, he penned a work that is, is interesting. It's raw, it's visceral, it's called A Grief Examined. And it's a lot of food for thought. Uh, we're not going to go through the whole thing today, but I want to ask a few questions from this. C.S. Lewis asked the question in his intense grief. Actually, started with a statement, and he said, "I have seen many striking answers to prayer, and more than one, I thought miraculous. Does God then forsake those who serve Him best?" That's a tough question. What do you think? When God becomes man, that man of all others is least comforted by God. He's talking about Jesus. At his greatest need, there is a mystery here which, even if I had the power, I might not have the courage to explore. Meanwhile, little people like you and me, if our prayers are sometimes granted beyond all hope and probability, had better not draw hasty conclusions to our own advantage. If we were stronger, we might be less tenderly treated. If we were braver, we might be sent with far less help to defend far more desperate posts in the great battle. I hear that I hear the echo of his sentiments as well, just like Joni Erickson's story. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt forsaken by God? If you haven't had the experience yet, probably most of you will have the experience at some point that will make you feel somewhat forsaken by God. Lewis winds up concluding that God does in fact use necessary pain in our lives to teach us to know and to trust him as he is. And that for God to give us comfort, we have to have enough consuming grief in our life to be able to receive it that's a tough thing that's a tough concept Lewis says it like this in in the final statement that we'll have from him one moment last night I imagined a man in total darkness he thinks he's in a cellar or a dungeon then there comes a sound from afar off waves wind blown trees cattle half a mile away the sound of a friend talking. It proves he is not in a cellar, but free in the open air. I'm not mad enough to make such an experience as evidence for anything. It's, it is simply the idea that I, or any mortal at any time, may be utterly mistaken as to the situation they're really in. So are your trials really trials? As you cry out for healing and for help, Are they really blessings sometimes in disguise? Psalms 147 verse 3 says, He healeth the brokenhearted and bindeth up their wounds. This is a really important extension of prayer from circumstances. It helps to humble us. It's almost as if the circumstances are a tool to produce something different in us and something beautiful and something better far better than there ever would have been before. In Shadowlands, an adaptation of A Grief Observed, written by C.S. Lewis after his wife died of metastatic breast cancer, a friend says to Lewis, Jack, which is what he was called, I know how hard you've been praying, and now God is answering your prayers. Lewis replies, That's not why I pray, Harry. I pray because I can't help myself. I I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. Prayer doesn't change God. It changes me. If anybody has ever had that experience before, God is interested in changing us. In winding things down, We're going to come back to Joni Erickson just for a little bit here. She returned to John chapter 14 later in her life. That was the chapter where she felt like there was certainty that God should answer her prayers if she believed. She discovered an unusual context that she'd never noticed before. That the whole chapter of John chapter 14 is about giving the gospel. This... In her words, is the Savior's last chance to teach his disciples about the main thing, his gospel. Jesus was so passionate about his disciples having the good news that he, in as much said, Look, if there are mountains in your way, I'll move them. If there's an obstacle in your way, I'll help you get rid of it. If it means the advancement of my kingdom, I'll do it. Jesus was adamant about this because this is what would give his father the most glory. Joni Erickson says, once this fast fact sank in, it made my wheelchair seem insignificant in comparison. My problems didn't seem so important anymore. What's more, I began to grasp the fact that my paralysis was part of God's strategy to further his gospel. After all, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 22 says. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. Jesus as Christ, suffered, yet trusted the Father. We are to follow in his footsteps, on the road marked with suffering. We are to trust in our Heavenly Father, whether we have quadriplegia, whether we have any other form of suffering. And Joni says this is a lesson for you too. When we Christians trust the Lord in our hardships, it showcases to a skeptical, cynical, and unbelieving world that God is worth trusting and the Bible is worth believing. The world can't argue when it sees people in pain rejoice in their God. No one in Christ's heaven gets there without first having some sort of suffering. And there's a good reason for it. Heaven will be populated with people Who opened their hearts to God because they saw the power and reality of His gospel demonstrated through you today. And I think that's worth not being healed for any day. Had Joni been healed? She'd never been healed physically, but there was a part of her that very much had been healed. Can you be healed? in closing god hears you today whether our concept of broad, of god is broad or deep whether we really truly understand what god is calling us to whether we are being asked to endure suffering and trials whether we're sick god hears you today are you waiting for him today are you casting your burdens on him today are you crying out to him today are you experiencing an intimate prayer connection with him? He says in Isaiah 65:24, "And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear." You see, God is a God who longs to hear you. He longs to be heard by you even before you call him. God hears you in your struggles and he's experienced those struggles. He hears you in your suffering, and he's experienced those moments of suffering. He hears you in your pain in the most intimate of terms, because he came here, suffered, and died. He felt all of the pain himself that you feel today. He hears us. He hears us in a very true and intimate way, because he became one of us. And he died on the loneliest of crosses. In dying, he proved that the most important healing has nothing to do with our sin-sick bodies, but instead our sin-sick souls. In hearing us, Jesus promised, both you and me today, that he has healed us from our iniquities, that his longing for us knows no ends. He is waiting right now for you to call out to him. It doesn't matter where you've been, It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you may have fallen. It doesn't matter how strong or weak your faith is. He's waiting. And He's just hoping that you will come to your senses. That I will come to my senses. So that even before we call, He can answer. He is so ready to answer that all we have to do is desire in our hearts to wait for Him. And He will hear he will forgive and he will heal. When I am weak, then I am strong. When I am poor, despised, suffering, forsaken, when I am sick, then I am strong. And then I am healed. God has big plans for your life. He has plans to heal you in a way that other people cannot see. And he has a plan to illuminate this world with your life. Jeremiah 29.13 in closing says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart.